This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, there are many people giving their input as to how to fix healthcare. The reasons why are too many to go through. Still, there's a wealth of important information being brought forth with the ideas of ways to try and fix the healthcare industry. Dr. Steve Clasco is president of Thomas Jefferson University here in Philadelphia. He's also CEO of the Jefferson Health System, and he's authored a book titled We Can Fix Healthcare Emphasis on the Can. The future is now. Steve joins us in the studio and joining him as well is Nishad Rahman, who is currently a medical student at Jefferson with a, a nice three years to go. Steve, great to see you again. Wonderful to be back. You are you are Natalie attired here today with your hat like you're ready to go to the beach. That's because this is going to be a very optimistic show. This okay. Warden Serious Radio will be the only place. And you can hear optimism about the future of healthcare. Nishad, nice to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you. Great to be on. Thank you. Uh, Let's start with, I mean, obviously we've talked about this in in many times that that you've been here, but the idea to put it together in a book, the natural step for you in the the process of running this system? So, well, part of it is for folks like Nishad, you know, we're going to have a future generation that's going to get it right. So the original title was, I Messed Up Healthcare in America, Put Your Name Here. (laughs) <laughs> concept being that we all blame everybody else. When it got yeah, to right. the publisher, they wanted a positive uh, title with an American flag <laughs> so they can sell it at Walmart. But, but if you think about it that way, the concept is real simple. Just look at the first chapter, 2016, yep. Yep. when healthcare and politics became fun again. Yep. That's science fiction. So the issue was President Obama gives it one last shot, brings everybody together, every stakeholder, CEOs of pharma, CEOs of health systems, patients, medical students, nurses, says, fix this. And we do what we do best. We blame each other. A science fiction event, blackout, vapor, we all become comatose, wake up, and all we can do is look in the mirror. Yeah. Out of that two days comes the 12 disruptors for the demise of the old health care that are so compelling that both the Democrats and Republicans use it as their health care platform hmm. together. Uh, Democrats call it the dramatically different democratic discourse for healthcare, 4Ds. Republicans call it the rather than repeal, let's reimagine Republican revolution in healthcare. And the amazing thing about this is I have shown this to Democrats and Republicans, and they've all said, yeah, we could agree on these 12 things. But the question, I guess, is then if you take it up the ladder, could they agree on it? Because seemingly it, it, it's, it's great for a lot of people that are at the local level and maybe even at the state level that get it. But once you get this... Up to the federal level, that's where the separation happens. Yeah, so I'm calling for a patient revolution. I okay. think at the end of the day, if you, if you actually read the, um, the, the Democrat and the Republican platforms, you know, so I'll just give you one example. Yep. Um, we basically said, learn the lessons of the now defunct blockbuster and move health care from a come to my hospital when you're sick to a Netflix mindset of getting health care out. So the Democrats say the federal government will incentivize the infrastructure for personalized care in any location, reducing barriers to telehealth and forcing interoperability of electronic health records. Okay. Yeah. The Republicans say we will work with private industry to reduce the burden of the computer in the doctor's office, providing new tools for physicians and their teams to guide patients through their lives. So what I'm saying is we'd have plenty to argue about about how we finance it and how we do it. Right. But if we could all come to agree on these 12 things, because this is what's going to happen. People like Nishad, he's going to look at this system and say, this is really messed up. He needs to go and fix the things that we messed up. So how is that changing right now, what he's learning in medical school? 
Oh, for sure. There's a lot of different changes. Just at Jefferson alone, I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. So we have something called the College Within the College program. We have three of them so far. One is design, one is population health, <clears throat> the other is research. And this is basically a, a degree within getting the overall medical degree mm -hmm. where you specialize. So, for example, if you're in design, you're learning about workspaces and how to better design workflow, improve outcomes through the space that you have. Right. One example, I'm in the population health quick, which basically says we need to make sure that when we're talking about health, we're seeing it as a, as a larger system uh -huh. in which we can improve health in communities. And by improving overall health rather than fixing medical problems in late stages, we can improve the level of health and reduce costs. You so, don't have to be mutually exclusive. So, so we just merged. We talked about this on a previous program with Philadelphia University. Sure. And yeah. you asked me why yeah. we did that. Yeah. They're the number 10 school in design. Yeah. So if you think about design as human experience, yeah. and you think about the human experience of going to the hospitals. I just met with somebody today that's in the hospitality industry. I said, what if you actually take over all the non-medical pieces of my, of my hospital and health system? When you think about that, why hasn't that happened before? Right, right. Right? I mean, why should you have lousy food and pay a lot for it? I mean, you know. <laughs> especially when you're waiting, you know. If somebody's that no, that in doesn't the, happen at Jefferson, uh, right, but I mean, right. a hypothetical. But, but, but especially yeah. if you have somebody that's in the ICU and is going to be there for, you know, a couple of weeks. You, right. want, you want to have some comfort, when, you know, when you're standing around there. Right. Think about this. If, if you're in a hospital for a week and you're getting IV antibiotics, <clears throat> the expertise of the doctors, the caring of the nurses, that's, that's on me. Yeah. But everything else is hospitality. So why, yeah. why, do we, why do we accept that? Well, we shouldn't. And as a, as a hospital CEO, health system CEO, I'm going to go and, and, and bring in hospitality folks to do it. And yeah. I'm going to start a degree in healthcare and hospitality, because I think that's going to be a major new, new opportunity. So uh, one of the things we've talked about, Nishab, with, with Steve before is just this kind of loss of connection with the consumer, with the patient. So as you're going through medical school right now, that has to be, I would think, knowing Steve, that has to be one of the most important things that you're dealing with is understanding that as much as you can do as a doctor, that the the relationship you have with the patient, whether it be in the medical area or outside the medical area, that's got to be as important as anything. For sure. In, in fact, it's often more important, uh, to quote a great doctor, uh, Dr. Osler, it's more important to know what, what type of patient has the disease and what type of disease a patient has. So in terms of that and applying that, we have to make sure that we build relationships with our patients instead of just prescribing drugs or telling them get IV this or that. We have to make sure that we're encouraging them and we're actually making them active in their own health. Yeah. We have to make them accountable and responsible and excited about taking control of their own health. So, so Nishad's going to go through a medical school where telehealth is just part of what we do. Sure, right. As yeah. opposed to other places yeah. where say, oh, this telehealth stuff, that's really bad. That's not academic medicine. Right. So he's going to leave here looking at technologies that, that are happen in consumer industry and just assume that that's what should happen in the healthcare industry. When he gets to his residency and it's not getting done, he's going to say, you know, why do you still do things the old way? Especially as a millennial, it's absurd that right. we haven't been doing it already in many cases. I mean, if you ask the students, we're young enough to, to realize that everyone else is doing it. It's not like Skype is new. It's not like Google Talk is new. So the fact that we haven't done that. So then how is he going to, you know, th that reaction, you know, you get to your residency and, and you've been doing something at Jeff for, for quite some time and it's not being done. Hopefully it's in the process of being changed right there. H how, how does he react to that because that's a that, that's a 
you know, for somebody that's residency, from what I understand about being a resident, you're there to work and work a lot, and your voice is heard a little bit, but maybe not as much as, as you probably should. Yeah, so the reason that, that I wanted to get the book out there and this national journal now is I, want, I really do want to foment a revolution. I want the young docs to say, I'm not going to take this anymore. And I want patients yeah. to say, I'm not going to take this anymore. Because, and and well, we, we view Jefferson almost as a learning lab. Let, let me give you an example. Yep. I got to be a little bit of an undercover boss. I ended up in the in, in our hospital for 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 a night. Oh, really? We, yeah. We so we have we have with br- a beard. What with a beard? Well, and a it, well, it was a little bit like that with a hat. Okay. Um, but um, um, literally, um, I have three children, and they were concerned about me. And we have something called virtual rounds. Yeah. Where we actually can uh, two way electronic communication with our doctor, with the patient when he's making rounds, and my son in. My son in New York, my daughter in, in, in Tampa, and my other daughter in Buffalo. I'm sitting there with the doctor, and on a big screen, my three children, who were worried about me, asking questions. Right. Now, what's amazing about that, to the shots point, that's some new software, but you could have done that two years ago with Skype. You could have done that sure. four yeah. years ago with FaceTime or 10 years ago with the phone. Yeah. But we don't do it. Yeah. And part of the reason is because patients allow us to not have joined the consumer revolution. So the reason I wanted to get out there nationally yeah. with Jefferson's Learning Lab is to say, you know, remember that network thing? I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. And then in terms of actually creating transformation, one, for example, if we're creating transformation in one school and then we're going off to different residencies and we're stuck under a hierarchy where, where our voices are not being heard, maybe we won't be able to be the transformational agents we're trained to be. So, for example... At Jefferson, we've actually created a completely student-run group, physician executive leadership, that's hmm. student-founded, student-led, student-driven. We have our own website. We're, Warden, watch out. We're, we're <laughs> autonomous. We're connected to Jefferson, but our goal eventually Careful. goes to go, go nationwide. And the, the idea is to build the next generation of physician executive leaders. And we right. do that by building the skills that we need. For example, there's a lot of things we learn in medical school. We learn tons of stuff about microbiology, about physiology, yeah. anatomy. We don't learn much about the influence, business. about yeah. business at all, yeah. about healthcare policy, about the future of healthcare. Because we have, especially as technology advances, eventually many of the things that we have always been accustomed to having to do, yeah. like memorize organic chemistry formulas, memorize the Krebs cycle, will be done for us through technology. And yeah. that's not something we should fear. That should be something that shapes the role of physicians so, in the future. So how much, how much of what you're doing right now is the, the actual, the medical end of it, and how much of it is the business, the you know, the the hospitality, the understanding the of empathy. how the how the bi- how the business so, runs. So we have one course that's almost entirely dedicated to empathy and and the actual clinical aspects. It's called ICM, and it's the the intro to clinical medicine. So it's right. the skills like empathy, like talking to patients, like communication. That's through the school. We also have a couple of different groups throughout outside the school. For example, the physician executive leadership program I was talking about yeah. is building more of those business side things, and we enjoy the fact that we're not directly under the school because that gives us the freedom to, to actually build a curriculum that students want. Yeah. We sent out surveys, we figure out the, the key skills that people need to know 
according to what they see changing around in the world around them. And then we build our curriculum to have that. So we have CEOs, business leaders, CMS people, uh, entrepreneurs, all those people coming in and telling us about what they've learned throughout their journey. And we even started, uh, we have a thing called Jefferson Accelerator Zone. We, we started a jazz tank, which is like a shark tank, where, where our students <laughs> bringing can, ideas our forward, students yeah. come bring things forward, and we have private equity people looking at that. But I think on the other side, I just gave a talk yesterday for um, one of Mike Useem's courses here at Wharton, and they're doing that, that from the other side, yeah. of bringing physician leaders in, almost the entire audience for people from banks and international leaders outside of healthcare that really wanted to get a view for that. So I think what's nice about this is we're starting to take great places like Wharton and really having them understand the health piece, and then uh, in, 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 in great institutions around health, we're actually starting to bring the business in. So the, the, the good news is, though, that there is that level of understanding. And, and obviously, the, the medical part of it is always going to be there. It always is going to be important. But understanding the business and, and how business can affect healthcare in the future, having that understanding, that ends up being a huge driving force, part of what, what you're talking about in the book. So, look, here's a fact, not a prediction. 80% of what doctors do will be replaced by an IBM Watson type thing. So just think about that. By when? By two years from now. Here's why. Wow. There's okay. no human brain on the planet that can memorize everybody's genomic sequence. Sure, yeah. So this whole thing of choosing people like Nishad just based on the fact that they can memorize the Krebs cycle yeah. is ridiculous. <laughs> it's absurd. It's ridiculous. So, so at the end of the day, our Wait a minute. Whole... I, I have to look up Krebs cycle <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So that, that, okay. that'll be That can be one of your trivia questions. Okay, um, all right. But all no, right. But, but literally, so, so when you think about it, the role of the doctor is going to be around communication. Yeah. It's going to be about observation versus seeing. All things that he shares it, the IBM Watson won't be able to do. So at the end of the day, we can't continue to select and educate docs the same way that we, we have for the last 50 years. It's about empathy. Well, so what we're proud of is that, you know, we haven't gone totally over to that side, but we've yeah. started to really move. If you look at our 290 students, they're different than a lot of other places. So what does that do then for the industry of being a doctor for the future? I mean, having that change where obviously you have to have the medical knowledge, but the computer will will do a lot of what you're talking about. How do you see the, the job of being a doctor changing in the next decade? Well, I'll start. Nishad might have a, a different view of it. I think we're going to go back a little bit. You know, okay. I, one of the articles I wrote was from Marcus Welby to House. How did we get there? <laughs> okay. So if you think about that. Unfortunately, I can remember both of those. Yeah, so I know. That's well, how well, old I am. Yeah, yeah, so anybody over 60, you'll get this. But the fact of the matter is from an empathetic doctor that would, you know, go and take care of homeless people for free and, and then go and do left ventricular neurosurgery to House, you know, drug addicted, very analytic person, yeah. but not a very good communicator. Yeah. We're going to go back. I think at the end of the day, you know, it, your psychiatrist does not need to memorize the Krebs cycle or biochemistry formulas. Right. So we're going to go back to choosing people based on their ability to communicate and heal and that kind of thing. I had more of that kind of questions when I applied to Wharton than when sure, I applied yeah. to medical school. Yeah. Now, who do you want to be more empathetic, your business person or your doctor? So literally, the inter I had more of a behavioral clinical interview at, to get into Wharton than I did to get into my medical school. That's what's going to change. Nishad? 
And uh, to, to expand on that, so if you have a highly intelligent person that's gifted in the sciences but has no empathy, that's the type of people that we can be accepting into medical school right now because the categories are MCAT scores, they're organic chemistry scores, and empathy is not part of that selection process at all. Instead, we should be thinking about taking intelligent empathy people, empathetic people, and teaching them the science that they need. There's a lot of things, there's very rare cases, almost none, where you need to know organic chemistry to be an effective doctor. I can't imagine a case that's true yeah. unless you're in research. So the the idea that that's the category that we're using to select people is absurd. So so then, what what does this book mean to you then? It's the answer for everything I've been thinking in many many. I ways. love this guy. Wow, that's why we chose that, him. Can you, can you? So I, I, that should be the promo line. K L A S K O. The answer for everything you've been thinking. Because you get read on it, Amazon now. You read it. You read it, and you will you will be reading it, and you will say, "Of course." You will agree with everything that's in there because it makes too much sense not to. It doesn't right. matter what your political leanings are, what you think should have been done a long time ago, who you'd like to blame. The idea, the fact is that those 12 disruptors that we talk about yeah. that's in the book are things that are pretty much universally acknowledged. But here's, here's what is different. We, we, yeah. The reason we did a science fiction is because it's fun. If I sure, tried to yeah. say, here's the answers, yeah, right. you know, then, yeah. then, so I think the fact that I'm in the industry and the fact that we did this in a science fiction way and it's fun, one of the things we did was a whole Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing. Yeah. Again, another yeah. reference. Yeah. But at the end of the day is we said, you're not going to believe this, but there's a planet and a place called USA in the Milky Way <laughs> where basically state fairs that only sell Corn dogs and funnel cakes are sponsored by hospitals, cardiovascular surgery units. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it appeared in their time where it was obvious that you wouldn't need expensive, inefficient hospital beds. There are places still building. So people go under that kind of sort of funny thing. They go, yeah, that's right. Boy, yeah. if the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy looked at us, yeah. we'd look pretty foolish. So then a lot of this change that still has to happen has to happen at the ground roots level, has to happen with, with Joe Average Consumer and... And may, trying to make a difference, you know, in, in really getting the, a lot of the core stuff of healthcare changed, so that we don't have the waste, so we don't have the overspending that that seemingly is out there. Correct? Yeah. The the, the revolution is going to come from the millennials, and 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 you know, it, I like Nishad to talk as a millennial because here's the story: a millennial, it's technology over loyalty. Yeah. We're all. I'm working with a company that's doing a Match.com for obstetricians. So normally, what huh. happens? I'm pregnant. Your family doc says, oh, I'm going to send you to this obstetrician. Right, exactly, yeah. And yep, what yep. the millennials are saying is, wait a second. I have about eight or nine things I want, including how much my deductible is going to be. That might be who you play golf with or who's on your system. Sure, right. You give me four names. So this match.com is a patient will go out there, almost like progressive insurance. They'll yeah. compete for your business. Patients say, these are the 10 things I want. What obstetricians want to compete for my business, and we'll answer those questions. Now, an obstetrician saying, oh, well, that's not why I went to Medicare, that's fine, then, then they won't get that patient. Right. Yeah, absolutely, and we have to keep in mind that it's not just going to be the millennial doctors who are acknowledging the change. It's going to have to be the millennial consumers, the millennial people who are sick, who are demanding more from their health care. Right. For a very long time, we've just considered healthcare to be this, this pinnacle where everything is the way it is because that's the best we can make it, and when consumers haven't demanded the things that we know we can accomplish. And once they start doing that, it's going to be increased competition. We're going to figure out how good we can make it. So, and then I guess in some respects, and just taking your role as CEO right now, Steve, you're basically in some respects kind of guiding a ship that is being driven by people like Nishad. 
Well, I think we said this on one of the previous things. You know, I took over a place that was a great place, but it was 192 years old and acted its age. And right. I think the ability to take um, a place like Jefferson that has that legacy name and really act like a startup company is what's differentiating us. And, and it's great for Philadelphia because, right. you know, we're in a place with a place like University of Pennsylvania, which is one of the best academic medical centers in the country. And now we get to, you know, take a little bit more of an entrepreneurial academic approach. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it really, I think, is fun to watch Philadelphia with those two systems um, um, moving forward that way. And it, and it hits home with students, too. I mean, we're young enough that we, we are still excited. You know, well, maybe once you go through all the rigor, there's a lot of older individuals who have just seen it not change for so long yeah. that they've lost some of that urge. But we're still excited and we see things happening that give us hope. How, that's important. How often do you, how often in your time now in, in medical school, and obviously you still have a couple of years to go, do you come across something where you say, basically something similar to what we said before is, well, wait a minute, why are we doing it this way and not doing it another way? See, the, the interesting thing is that oftentimes things that seem obvious in hindsight are not obvious initially. So, for example, there's a new Jeff Connect situation that we have starting at, at Jefferson. Uh, Dr. Klaus can tell you more about that, that we instead of having people come into emergency rooms whenever they have an issue and and immediately paying incredible, incredibly high costs in comparison to going to a primary care physician, you can call in through telehealth yeah. and see if you need to come in. And completely qualified doctors will tell you, based on what you're telling me, based on what you're feeling and your self-examination, we can tell you whether or not you need to come in. And so, so and, th and that's the other part of the revolution. So mm -hmm. the revolution now today, the mean salary in this country is $52,000 and the mean deductible is $2,500. To somebody making $50,000 yeah, after tax, and it was $300 three years ago. So yeah. the ability, so the $1,000 deductible plus the $50 to park at a place like Jefferson <laughs> or Penn versus a $50 deductible at either telehealth and urgent care as a triage. And now we're going to insurers and saying, look, if they go through Jeff Connect and they end up in the emergency room, waive the deductible because you know they need to be there. So those are the kind of things that will transcend millennials and 50-year-olds that are looking at, at their own money now. So the, the number one thing is health is going from business to business to business to consumer. Yeah. And any other industry has done that. Michael Dell said, mobile will figure out healthcare before healthcare figures out mobile. And I believe that's true. Michelle? Absolutely. There's no question about that. And it's not just a change that we're hoping to drive. It's something that's inevitable and we should embrace it. We've got to embrace the change. We can't. There's been a long time that we've been scared of change. We shouldn't be. We've talked about this before, and, and cut just a couple minutes left. Without these changes, healthcare becomes. Yeah, healthcare becomes blockbuster. Or, you know, I mean, you know, to me, that's the thing. We recognize that our only product is the care and caring we give. Right. And what Reed Hastings realized, right, is that sure, you know, yeah. if I yep. if the product is not the stores, it's the entertainment. Yeah. If I can get it out to the mailboxes, that's better, right? Sure. Two ways to go to your mailbox. Put on your TV. Pretty soon the millennials will be two ways to turn on the TV. They'll have a little Netflix chip in their brain. <laughs> we realize that Jefferson's product is the care and caring we give. And if I can get that closer to home, so we've moved from a $1.5 billion entity, three hospitals, to this December we will be almost a $5 billion entity with 11 hospitals. Because those hospitals have joined us because we're not saying, oh, please join us so we can send more patients to us. We're saying, please join us so we can keep people in your community. It's a, it's a fundamental 180 degrees from where healthcare is today. If we don't embrace that, we're going to go the way of the dinosaurs, just like Blockbuster did. So 
See, that's how we do it. And a lot of people would say, you know, could that potentially happen with something that is so necessary in, in our daily lives? And obviously the cost being one thing, but we have to have health care or else obviously not only is the healthcare industry going to go the way of the dinosaurs, but a lot of people are going to go the way Absolutely. of the dinosaurs as well. So, so what I would say is this, that healthcare is not going to go away. Yeah. Right. Academic medical centers as the major purveyor of healthcare might go away if right. we don't do this. Even right. now with telehealth, it's 27-year-olds making billions of dollars. Right. Uh, Walgreens, right? Yep. We all laughed yep. when Walgreens started seeing patients in the, in, in the, in the stores, drugstore. Yeah. Who's going to go to drugstore? Well, $19 billion later, we could have kept our offices open from 6.15 a.m. to 1.15 a.m. with the same nurse practitioners that left us to go to Walgreens. I think that's what's going to change. Uh, we will not have the same business model yeah. we had before. Great to have you both here. Thanks yeah. very much for coming in. Thank you so much for having us. Great. I appreciate it. Dr. Steve Klatska from uh, Thomas Jefferson University uh, and also uh, one of his students <laughs> joining us here in Nishad Raman. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.